of the British punk band The Clash made famous their song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And uh, certainly many men and women at some point in time in their marriage have at least hummed that little tune, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Uh, she's not as, as nice and lovely as she used to be, or he's not the gentleman that he once was. And, and you get into the marriage and, and you begin to think, oh, what did I get into? What is all of this? Should I stay or should I go? And when we look at our secular culture, the secular culture, well, their advice oftentimes is, well, you should go. If you're not as happy as you, you think you should be, then uh, why spend it in a, in a relationship? Why spend it in marriage? You should go. And, and that's the secular culture's response to that question. But as followers of Jesus Christ, coming at this question from a Christian worldview perspective, Christians most oftentimes should say, I should stay. I should stay. And the overall arching principle that we've been looking at and considering over the last couple of Sundays is this. Christians must value marriage and make every effort to preserve marriage. And that's the way we should come at it. We should value marriage as Christ valued marriage. We should value marriage and make every effort possible to always preserve marriage. Only in those Cases of last resort, as we talked about last week, should we ever even consider the possibility of divorce? In every instance, we should always work to preserve marriage. So this week, as we kind of finish up our, our little lesson on marriage, uh, I want to look at three reasons to stay. Three reasons to stay. Maybe you're out there today and you're asking that question. You have that question in your mind. Should I stay or should I go? You're not as happy as you once were. The honeymoon's over and you're asking that question. Should I stay or should I go? Or maybe you're a young person. You're not married yet. You're, you're still uh, kind of in the, you're, you're in the daydream stage. And maybe you're looking at marriage in the near future. Uh, and, and you think, well, that will never happen to me. But lo and behold, one day down the road, after you, you tie the knot, you're going to be faced with that question. Should I stay or should I go? And so today I want you to take this to heart and put this into your mind. Remember this. Three reasons, at least three reasons here, that as a Christian we should stay in marriage. So we're, we're looking today at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 12 through 16 again, and we're kind of focusing in on just a couple of verses here. But I want to look at the reasons that Paul gives for these Christians to stay in marriage. Now, the case in, in Corinth is this. They have some who, of course, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, they're, they're married. They're two Christians and they're married. Uh, but they're thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't be in marriage. Maybe we should just give our life completely to the gospel of Christ. Uh, we shouldn't have sex and all of those types of things. So let's just separate. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. You should, if you're married, you should stay married and you should participate in all the benefits of marriage. And so stay married, preserve the marriage. And now here's another case in the, these verses, 12 through 16, 
where now you have a Christian who used to be a pagan. They used to be a pagan. Uh, they used to be a non-believer. And they got married as a non-believer to another non-believer. And now they have this where now they have come to hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've trusted in Christ. They've become a Christian. And now what should I do? Now I'm married to this pagan. And they're reading the Old Testament scripture. And in the Old Testament scripture, you see this kind of working out where uh, the idea in the Old Testament was more along the lines that if something was defiled, touches something that is holy, someone who is holy, then the person who is holy becomes defiled. So you look back to the Old Testament and, and the command back in the Old Testament was to not touch a dead body. Right. Because a dead body would defile you. And so you would become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body or you were not supposed to have any kind of close contact with a leper. Someone who had the disease of leprosy or else that leper would cause you to be defiled, become unclean, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. But what we have in the New Testament is something very different. So, so they're looking back at the Old Testament and say, well, now I'm married to this unclean person. And if I'm married to this unclean person, this pagan, is that person going to defile me? Maybe then I should divorce. Maybe then I should separate from them. But Paul points out something here. Something changed when Christ came. Now we're under a new age. Where once upon a time, the defiled thing would defile the holy thing. But now when Christ comes, it all flip flops. You remember when Christ was here, when Christ ministered on the earth, when he touched something that was defiled, he made the defiled thing holy. You take, for instance, when Jesus met the, the, the funeral procession going out and he saw the weeping widow crying over her dead son and he had compassion upon this widow and he stopped the procession and he reached out and he touched the dead body, which was a no-no in, in Jewish culture. You wasn't supposed to touch a dead body, especially if you're a teacher or a rabbi. And he reaches out and he touches the dead body and life comes to the dead body. The defiled becomes clean through Jesus Christ. And the same is the case with the leper. As Jesus was ministering, he was confronted with lepers. Oh, heal us. And Jesus would reach out to the leper. He touched the leper and the leper became clean. That which was holy made the thing that was defiled clean and holy. And so we're in an age that everything is flip flopped. And so Paul, his advice to these Christians is stay married, stay married. And so I want us to, to look at that and consider that today. So we're, again, we're going to see three reasons to stay. So I want to read our text and then we'll get into it. First Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, the Lord didn't have anything, any particular teaching upon this particular issue. So Paul is giving the inspired revelation uh, to this, this group of people. I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband 
who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Well, as we begin to look at the reasons to stay, the first reason to stay we see here is the, because of the sanctification of your spouse. The sanctification of your spouse. Look again there at the first part of verse 14. For the believing husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. That word there, holy, is to be holy or to be sanctified, to be set apart. And so again, uh, Paul is coming at this and he says, we're in a new age. We're not in that old dispensation where we have this mentality that the defiled thing makes the holy thing unclean. We're in a new age. Christ lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not defiled by unholy things. Instead, you tend to make the defiled thing holy. You tend to make them sanctified. Now, we need to understand, as Paul's talking about this, as he's saying this, you make the unbeliever holy. We need to make clear what he's not talking about. He's not saying that the unbeliever is saved just by marriage to the believer. All right. Uh, we need to make that clear. And, and there's some people who kind of think that way. Well, uh, you know, I'm lost, but my wife, she's she's good. She's a saint. So if I'm getting in to heaven, it's on her coattails, right on her skirt tail. I'm going to get in through her because she's just so good and so holy and so sanctified. That won't work. And dear friend, if you're out there today and that's your mentality, you, you're you're not a believer. You're not a Christian and you think you're going to get in there uh, because of your spouses, your husband, your wife's, uh, your, their grace, their faith. I don't care how sanctified they are. You are not getting in because of their faith. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. And unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. Your destiny will be in hell. So I just implore you today, trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Live by grace through faith in Christ yourself. And don't hope to get in because of your wife or your husband's faith. So Paul is not talking about here salvation. But he is talking about at least degrees of sanctification. Uh, you know, there's an overall blessing that comes even to an unbeliever in their relation to a believer. A believer 
who has trusted in Jesus Christ has the blessings of God poured out upon them. The Lord blesses them and, and he enjoys pouring out his blessings upon the believer, his faithful followers. And, you know, there's a little bit of that that kind of just overflows on the unbelieving spouse, isn't it? If you're out there and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're experiencing the blessings of God upon your life because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your husband, your wife, they get some of the overflow from that. Uh, they get benefits from your blessings. Uh, think about it like this. Uh, you know, some some people, they don't come from a very good background, right? They don't they come from a poor family. And every now and again, somebody who comes from a poor family marries into money, a family who has a little bit. And your spouse is going to inherit, make, have a, a big inheritance. Well, guess what? You may not get an inheritance whatsoever, but if you're married to a person who's going to get a large inheritance, you're going to receive some of the blessings from that inheritance, aren't you? Well, that's the way it is. An unbeliever married to a believer. There's some overflow of blessings, at least in this life, that they get to receive some of the benefits of being in relation, close relation to a child of God. But I, I don't think that's all that there is here. There's another benefit as well. There's a sanctifying benefit of an unbeliever being married to a believer. I remember... Uh, on a number of occasions. But I remember one occasion in particular, I was talking to a, a young man and we were just having a, a conversation and he was just telling me this, that and the other. I mean, he was just opening up to me and just talking, talking, talking. And and I, I'll, I'll be honest, he was not using very guarded language. Right. He, he was cussing along the way and dropping the F-bomb every now and again. And I was just listening, listening, listening. And then we came to a point in the conversation that he said, uh, so, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> and you could see just his face went flush. <laughs> and his whole disposition began to change, right? Because he was in the presence of a Christian, of a pastor, and he recognized that and, and he didn't talk the same. He didn't act the same. That changed. Well, you know, that's not just that it happens, especially with me being a pastor. I see that happen all the time. Right? There's, there's some parties I don't get invited to uh, because they, I would kind of be the dull. Uh, I, I would dull it down. I would remove some of the excitement from the party, right? So I don't get invited to all of those parties. But, you know, even as a, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, there's a respect and a reverence that is there. And if you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ who's married to an unbeliever, knowing that you're a believer, knowing that, that you have a higher standard of morality will influence your unbelieving spouse. They're going to make better moral decisions in their life because of your presence in their life. They're going to make better choices. And I think that, at least in part, is what Paul is talking about here. The unbeliever is sanctified, made holy through the believer. There's that holy influence upon their lives. 
And they're going to make better moral decisions in their life. They're not going to be as bad as they could be because of your influence in their lives. Now, that's going to come, culminate and perhaps into something else that we'll talk about here later. But you at least have that. So stay married. Stay for the sanctification of your spouse. Second, you should stay for the sanctification of your spouse, but you also should stay for the sanctification of your children. For the sanctification of your children. Notice what he says in the second part of that verse, verse 14. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, again, let us make sure we must be clear here. Paul is not saying that you're saved because you're a child of a Christian. Doesn't work that way. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. And a lot of people have confused that. I've witnessed to people before who I've asked them, where are you going to go when you die? Where are you going to go? Oh, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, my, my mama and my grandma and my grandpa and my daddy, they, they were all Christians. So I'm a Christian. Well, really? When did you come to faith? Oh, well, I, I, you know, it, it's an inherited thing. They have this mentality that they're a Christian just because grandma and grandpa and mom and daddy were Christians. But their life shows no sign of faith. And there's some kids out there who, who think that way, that they're saved just because mama's a Christian or daddy's a Christian. It's an inherited thing, but that's not the case. That's never the case. That is never the case. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. So unless you trust in Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Trust in him today. But there is a sanctifying effect that takes place, again, even in the children. Now, I just want to say this. There are a couple of ways that staying benefits children. There are a couple of ways. There's, uh, first of all, let me just talk, say this. This is not in the text specifically, but, but I want to recognize it here. First of all, there is a, a psychological benefit for your children to stay married. There's a psychological benefit for your children to, for you to stay married. Uh, this is coming from an article, How, how Could Divorce Affect Your Children? How, how, excuse me. How Could a Divorce Affect Your Kids? And this is an article from Focus on the Family, and they, they list a lot of the statistics uh, concerning the effects of divorce upon children. Now, the secular culture will say, and oftentimes says, that if you are unhappy in marriage, it is better for your children that you get divorced. But the facts tell something different. The facts say something very, very different. And so I want you to hear the statistics that are posted in this article. And I'll post this article on our Facebook page so that you can go see this and read more about this in your spare time. But here are the statistics. Children from divorce homes suffer academically. They experience high levels of behavioral problems and are less likely to graduate from high school. That doesn't say they all don't graduate, but they're less likely to graduate from high school than those who are 
are raised in a home where parents are both happily married. Kids whose parents divorce are substantially more likely to be incarcerated for committing a crime as a juvenile. Children in divorced homes are almost five times more likely to live in poverty than are children with married parents. Children from divorced homes are much more likely to engage in drugs and alcohol as well as have sexual, having sexual intercourse than are those from intact families. Children from divorced homes experience illness more frequently and recover from sickness more slowly than children in intact homes. Now, this is interesting. Psychologist Judith Waller, Wallerstein followed a group of children of divorce over the course of 25 years. So she followed them from the time their parents got divorced for 25 years. They're adult children. Now, she expected that as she followed them, what she would observe was that these children would get over the divorce and develop and begin to thrive as adults. But actually, her findings were quite contrary. After 25 years, adult children of divorce are far more likely to experience great anxiety as they start pursuing romantic relationships themselves, leading to bad choices in those relationships, giving up hastily when problems arise in relationships, or they avoid relationships altogether. So I want you to know, even if you are unhappy in your marriage, even though the secular culture says you are better off, your children are better off if you get divorced, the facts say that your children are far better off if you work at your marriage and stay married. Stay married for the benefit, the psychological benefit of your children. But also stay married for the spiritual benefit of your children. And that's what Paul's focus is here. The spiritual benefit of your children. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. It's far better for children if they at least have one parent in the family who is a Christian, who is influencing them with a Christian worldview, who is witnessing to them, giving them to the gospel. I'm reminded here of young Timothy, Paul's protege. Young Timothy was a man who came from a split home. He came from a split home. His mother was most likely, well, Acts tells us she was a Jew. She was a Jew. And so she came up hearing the word of God. And when Paul came through with the gospel, she and Timothy's grandmother, Lois, they believed. They believed and, and they passed that faith right on down to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five reads this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, young Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, 
and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Here because Lois and Eunice believed and they had that influence on Timothy. Those Timothy's father was most likely a pagan. He was at the very he was at least a Gentile, but most likely a pagan. Even though he had that influence, that pagan influence in his life because of his grandmother and his mother's influence, Timothy was able to hear the gospel and he responded in faith to the gospel. His faith came alive. Why, even now, I can think of a number of women, some even in, in this church, who are married to unbelievers but who raised their children in church and had a, a godly influence on their children. And today, every one of their children are believers in Jesus Christ because of their mother's faithfulness in marriage and faithfulness to, to witness to them and, and pour the, the faith into them. So stay married for the benefit, the spiritual benefit of your children. What a wonderful testimony when you can go to your grave knowing that your children have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of your influence. So stay married. Stay married for the sanctification of your spouse and stay married for the sanctification of your children. Third, the third thing we see here the third reason to stay married is this. You stay married for the salvation of your spouse. For the salvation of your spouse. Going down there to that last verse, verse 16. Look at that. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul delivers this question to them. How do you know that it won't be your influence in your unbelieving spouse life that brings them to faith in Christ? How do you know you won't have that influence? Now, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll never come to faith in Christ. Maybe they'll never come to faith in Christ. <clears throat> they may experience some kind of sanctification in their life because of your influence. But it's possible, just possible. That God put you in their life to witness to them. To be an ever-present witness in their life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that through your life, He can bring them to faith. Man, that's a great possibility, isn't it? That's a great possibility. How it is that God uses us puts us in other people's lives at just the right time to work on them and to share the gospel with them so that he can bring them to faith through our lives. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married for the possibility of their salvation. You may get to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ because of your faithfulness in marriage. I'm reminded here of the story of of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is one of the today's uh, greatest, one of the, the great apologists of today. 
in the Christian faith. He, he goes out and argues for the Christian faith and proclaims the Christian faith widely. He teaches at uh, Baptist, uh, Houston Baptist College and, and, and apologetics. But, you know, that's not always been the case. In fact, when Lee Strobel was coming up and he was going to Yale Law School and, and getting started as a journalist, he was an avid atheist along with his wife. His wife, Laura, was right there with him, uh, or Leslie, excuse me. His wife, Leslie, was right there with him. They were both atheists, and, and they were happy in their atheism. But somewhere along the way, Leslie came under the influence of a Christian. She made a Christian friend, and, and they began to witness to her, and she began to go to church with them, and, and Leslie came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Lee didn't like that much. Uh, he, he became very cynical to Leslie and to the Christian faith. He, he felt kind of duped. Like, here, here's my wife. I, I married her, and, and we were both on the same page. We were both non-believers. We were both atheists, and now uh, we've had the switch, bait and switch, right? Now she's a believer, and she's, she's doing all of these things, and, and, and he felt duped. And so he became very cynical, and he set out to prove Christianity wrong just to show his wife. But Leslie was faithful. She was faithful. She didn't return the cynicism. Instead, she was faithful to be a witness, to be a godly influence, to pray for her husband. And eventually, the Lord used her witness, along with some other things, to change Lee's heart. And Lee was converted partly because of Leslie's influence on his life. So, dear Christian, if you are married to an unbeliever, don't give up on the marriage. Stay faithful to the marriage. Love your husband. Respect your husband. Love your wife. Respect your wife. Pour into them. Show them the love of Jesus Christ day after day after day. And who knows, dear Christian, whether God won't save your spouse through your life and your witness. Stay married for the salvation of your spouse. So we see here, we should stay married. We should always strive to preserve marriage and stay married if at all possible, stay married for the sanctification of your spouse, stay married for the sanctification of your children, and stay married for the salvation of really both, your spouse and your children. Now, I remember Mary Beth and I have been married 26 years now. But I remember when we first got married, we were standing there in the reception line and a friend of ours, a friend of the family came through and he hugged our neck and he said, now, I want to I let you know, I want to tell you this. The first nine years are the hardest. It's all, it gets all better after that. The first nine years are the hardest, but they get better after that. Mary Beth and I just looked at each other when he said that and we just laughed. We thought he was kidding. We thought he was joking. Now I find myself going through the reception line at times and saying, hey, don't worry, the first nine years are the worst. Uh, after that, it gets much better. After 26 years of marriage, and you can ask Mary Beth this, she'll tell you the same thing. It wasn't nine years for us, but it was about five years 
five years that were really tough. And, and marriage is hard, especially the early years. They're hard. Why? Because when you put two selfish sinners together and say, all right, now y'all go live together. Y'all start making decisions together. Y'all start uh, building a budget together. Uh, man, I got my way of doing things. She's got her way of doing things. And we butt heads. That's what happens. And it takes time to, to learn to cooperate with one another and, and to, to do, you know, give and take. And it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, statistically speaking, most divorces take place within the first eight years of marriage. The first eight years of marriage. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, if they would have just, if they'd have pushed through just one more year, one more year, could they have gotten to the good stuff? Because I'm going to tell you, yeah, those first five years, they, they had their struggles. They had their struggles. But I can't imagine my life without my wife today. 26 years later, I, I don't want anything else. I want my wife by my side day in and day out. I love that relationship and I wouldn't take anything for that relationship. So don't give up on marriage. When you come to that point in your life, when, when things are hard, you're, you're button heads, right? You're, you're button heads. You, you've got different ideas about how things uh, can go and instead of cooperating with one another, instead of giving and taking and, and all of that, you're, you're, you're just button heads. Don't give up on marriage. Stay. Push forward. Fight for the marriage. Give in. Learn to give and take and cooperate. Stay married and get to those wonderful blessings that are ahead of you. When the decision to come, when the choice comes, when the question arises, should I stay or should I go? For the grace of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, say, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay for my spouse, for my children. For my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm going to stay and work this out. Stay in the marriage. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. And we recognize, Lord, as we enter into the marriage, Lord, we are sinners saved by grace and it's only by your grace that we're ever forgiven, that we ever overcome our selfishness and we humble ourselves. It's only because of your grace. Lord, I know today there's some who are listening and watching who are, are coming through a hard time in their marriage. Either they, they've been there, they are there, or they'll be there in the near future. They're coming to a hard time in their marriage. And Lord, that, that song's going to play in their mind. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? Oh Lord, speak to their hearts. Give them the encouragement they need to stay. To stay. Because you value marriage. You value marriage. Let them stay to preserve the marriage. 
This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.